Welcome to Lily High on Life. And today's special guest, I'm excited to introduce to you, Kate Engler. Welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you here is that you are a really articulate, independent woman who has been in your own business most of her life. So you're more of an entrepreneur than um, an employee. And I think in today's world, that's really, really important. And even more importantly, in this world where we have social media and everybody trying to get famous, what you do is you help people get their message out into the world in a more I was going to say old-fashioned way but it's not so much old-fashioned as much as it is real and something that's got substance so Kate tell us about what you're doing now and how all of that came about awesome what a great um what a great introduction and, a, and scene setting moment. Um, yes, so we do help people get their message out, absolutely. And I guess there's a, there's a distinction to be made for your listeners in terms of um, paid exposure, often referred to as advertising, or earned exposure unpaid exposure which is often referred to as publicity and if i may you've got a your business is called the publicity princess which is fabulous did you come up with that i did very much tongue-in-cheek i am well some people might say i'm a princess but but, um, it's very (laughs) tongue-in-cheek so tell us a little bit about um how that happened because you started off in pr as most people start off in pr and then transitioned to these wonderful workshops so tell me a little bit about how you got into it and the agency does the liaising with the journalists in agencies on both sides of the country and the traditional agency model pr agency model is that um Clients pay a monthly retainer, five, seven, nine, twelve thousand dollars a month, and the um, agency does the liaising with the journalist for them. And having sat in the boardroom on both sides of the country, meeting amazing business owners, amazing entrepreneurs, people who are really out to make a difference in the world, mm-hmm. um, gets they got so excited about the possibility of of publicity until they looked at the bottom line as to what the investment was going to be for them. And they couldn't afford those agency fees. Mm. And then they would think, oh, we're obviously not big enough for the media. And that was a heartbreaker for me because these gorgeous business owners, many of whom have taken their, you know, their ghoulies in one hand and their credit card in the other and they've leapt forward to create their own business, were missing out on all that media exposure could give them. And so I started 11 years ago the Meet the Press Masterclass. And it's really designed um, kind of counterintuitively in a way for businesses who are offered a place at the Masterclass. The goal is for them to not need me moving forward. So it's not that traditional agency model. It's not like there's going to be a big fat upsell at the end of the event or anything like that. It really is to equip entrepreneurs and business owners with the skills so they can do publicity themselves. 
And I know from the short conversations I've had with you so far that you really do enjoy this and this is really something that's a bit of a passion for you and you get involved with some of these entrepreneurs as well. Tell, talk to me a little bit about um, what, what transitioning into this business model has does for you on a regular basis. Um, I guess, Lily, the the answer to that is that seeing people grow and shine and put their best self forward, how can that ever get old? You know, these beautiful entrepreneurs who um, may be really nervous about the media journey or they might be trepidatious about the questions that the journalists may ask them, but they have this gorgeous thing they call their business and they want it to grow and the trust that they place in us for our two-day Meet the Press Masterclass. They're kind of handing over their baby and saying, please, will you help me right. make it grow? And that is is both humbling and an absolute privilege. The trust of that is a privilege and that never gets old. And then when they come through the Masterclass and they realise how amazing they really are and how many media angles there truly are that live in their business and then they get to take those media angles directly to the journalists their little hearts open and their world expands and their eyes shine and i just don't know how that could ever get old if that's really it people don't understand how really amazing they are Yes. And how extraordinary people are. Yeah. I mean, we all have those little negative voices in our head that, um, you know, mine often sits on my chest at 6am in the morning when I need to get up for an early morning yoga class and tells me how much I don't need to be going to yoga <laughs> class. And I'm like, yes, actually, I do. So so we all have that little negative voice that tries to keep us small, that tries to restrict our growth, that tries to um, pretend to keep us safe. Um, i talk to mine um his name is Huxley and he's really Ooh. naughty and um and he you know we all have our version of Huxley that tells us we're not good enough or we can't do it or who do you think you are or as if they'd say yes to you or whatever whatever the dialogue is that your version of Huxley runs in your head we all have that version of Huxley and my job is to help people put Huxley in the back seat with an iPad and a set of headphones and get them back in the driver's seat of their life and more importantly their business Mm. so that they can really do amazing things with them. Yeah such a valuable um thing that you're offering to people this new concept where you decided to do the workshops was it a can't sleep in the middle of the night thing were you between jobs how did you how what when where how why did you come up with this alternative so i started my business in 20 uh, 2001 actually and and it was a consulting business although it was i was really committed to hiring um mothers because PR agencies are not that kid friendly, not that parent friendly. You know, you start at eight and finish at seven and that's a short day. And so many really brilliant PR practitioners just sort of hung up their hung up their boots, really. And so when I had my mainstream consulting agency, I really made a point of hiring other great women, mothers, 
because we all worked worked remotely. We worked remotely before. Working remotely was a thing. Um, and so, and then I... Um, and then I got married and had, had children and I was became aware that I was I'm going to need to leave the marriage. And so I started, rather than doing a one-on-one kind of business model, did one to many and started speaking at other people's events. And then eventually that morphed into my own one-day event where I essentially taught people the, the formula of the media release because it is just a formula. But the missing, the question that always came up was, but how do I get to the journalist? How do I get to the journalist? Mm. And so after a couple of years of running that one day event and people constantly asking, but how do I get to the journalist? I thought, hmm, there's an opportunity here to really help more. And so then it morphed into the, it morphed from that one day event into a bigger event and meet the press masterclass and a game changer sounds fabulous and is obviously working really well and that is the big question you know what to do but how do you practically do it and I'm all about practical solutions for things but I love the way that you speak about your business and and being in it and I know that you are also a keen skier (laughs) and um, I was going to ask you about that too because I took a couple of lessons, never really learned how to ski, but that feeling of exhilaration and freedom as you're going down the mountains, um, who introduced you to skiing? How did you get into it? What is it that uh, keeps you so involved? Because you go, you're going again. It's an annual thing with your boys. Yes. So my one of my very, 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 very early boyfriends um, introduced me to skiing, albeit it was cross-country skiing um, at the time. Um, So I did a little bit of that in my early uni days and then really not a lot um, in my adult years. I lived in Perth for five years. There's not much snow in Perth. Um, And um, and so it wasn't until actually the boys were little really little and I just left the marriage I were two and four and I took them to the snow for the first t- time and we just went up to a, a non-skiing mountain mountain to do some tobogganing and things as they were they were two and four they were little and um and they loved it and so we kind of went every year since the three of us and um and uh they've the, the amount of photos i've got of them in various ski outfits as they've grown one of um, the reasons i ask you about that also is because a while back while back everybody was talking about this um uh this thing where if you concentrate the art of allowing and the art of um getting what you want by focusing on what you want and the truth of it is that it's not focusing on what you want as much as it is feeling the way you would feel when you have it so it's all about feelings and you can feel good about anything and then the rest of your life falls into that feeling good thing and so for me one of the triggers was something like skiing and horseback riding which you do as well so that feeling that you get puts you into a place where you can do anything and everything yeah I think I think that the whole art of manifestation is not um I think I, I 
you know, the, the secret was very big all those years That's, ago. Yes. And, um, and, and there's, you know, the secret, there's a lot, 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 lot of truth in that. But you can't be visualizing or manifesting or feeling the feeling and then sit in the corner and take no action and expect the universe to, you know, drive up to your door in a Mercedes. Often the universe drives up to your door wearing overalls in a truck <laughs> um, with opportunity. And so I think the feeling, feeling the feelings and manifesting is I'm absolutely a big fan of that. But one must also take action. Um, but when you're feeling good, you're more inclined to take action. So it's a one really feeds into the other. Yes. And then sometimes people have to force themselves into the action and then the action is what makes them feel good. So it is chicken and egg, you know, what comes first, the feeling and then the action or the action and the feeling. And I think for for different people, it comes in different a different order and as does feeling good mm. i mean the skiing the horseback riding and how you're feeling as you're in the middle of it and everything that's one way but even if you're playing with your dog or cat and that's what's making you feel good it's more about feeling good yeah i think that that feeling i think i think people can I think feeling good can be risky in that people wait can sometimes wait till they feel good before taking action. Right. And I feel that we need to sometimes take action even though it doesn't feel good. I mean, anybody who's ever been on an exercise program or a diet will tell you yes. that. You've got <laughs> to take the action before the feeling good comes in, you know. Um, but but I, I do believe that like attracts like and if you are feeling positive and you are feeling good and you are feeling most importantly of all grateful then you'll get more of that into your life i mean we've all been with people who um complain about everything you know their, their meals always wrong the parking spot's never yes. where they want it to be the weather's not what they want it to be you know the boyfriend or the girlfriend isn't what they want them to be like in the litany of complaints is long and consistent and and they find it curious that they have any control over that and absolutely they have total control over that absolutely because the more you focus on gratitude mm. um you know gratitude really is the foundational emotion that we mm. want to be feeling because even in the shittiest of shitty times um and and i i had an experience several years ago with uh, my boy's father that was just it was 18 months long and it was brutal and and I was I was at a speaking I did a speaking gig for somebody and um the audience were, were asking questions and I had just like five minutes before getting on stage hung up the phone from oh. my lawyer with the latest development of of what was happening in this matter and this person from the audience said you know, you just seem so positive. Have you just had the best life? And, <laughs> and like juxtaposition between that question and what I had been dealing with, um, a very heavavy legal matter. Um, and I, and, and I, I sort of semi kind of lent into a chair of, of one of the patrons and I said, oh, you've got no idea. But even in that most horrendous of times, um, and it was horrendous because of the impact that it had on my boys, the only thing that got me through was gratitude mm. 
I was grateful for my legal counsel. I was grateful that I had the financial resources to be able to protect my boys. I was grateful for the support of my friends. I was grateful that my business allows me to come up to court for a day and and, and have n- n- no impact in the business, albeit it had a big impact on, on my heart. Um, just focusing on the gratitude was the only thing and that, that gratitude is also the positivity mm. because it's being aware that as painful as things might be there is a positive side to it and the positive side is all of that stuff that you're grateful for so people always have a choice to focus on what's making them feel better doesn't have to make them feel fantastic but what makes them feel better or what makes them feel worse yeah i mean it's the i don't know who said it somebody much wiser than me said that you know um grass grows where you water it and and so it is with our minds that which we focus on we get more of yes and that is why um the the game with our minds. That's why I, you know, that that little negative voice. I call him Huxley. I've got a super conscious up there that is really the brains of the outfit. I just happen to be the skin bag she lives in, and her name's Madam Secretary. And it's it's very, it, you know, we we talk amongst each other, and there's also a studio audience up there that's, you know, passes comments on occasion. But but we have our. I think our job as humans is to master. I was about to say master our minds. We never master the mind because there's always the ego at play and we always have that monkey mind thing happening but but we can master the bulk of our mind and we can choose where our focus goes and we can be discerning about what we consume um you know um and and really be disciplined with where we allow our mind to go and and if we do that on a conscious basis um i think then um flow even with with little things like the food um if you don't like your food realize it and don't eat don't eat it choose something that you want rather than complain about what's in front of you yeah well yeah and absolutely and you can order up a different dish in your mind um about every circumstance Mm. and and that's you know that's a very sweeping statement and um, i i don't um belittle or dismiss at all in any way any um trials or tribulations that any of your listeners might be going through Mm. and you know they might say well you know how can i change my mind and how could you be so dismissive of how i'm feeling and i'm not at all um but even in the smallest measure if we can focus on even one thing in or taking even taking responsibility oh that's a big one because it's you know lily high on life our tagline is change your attitude change your life Hmm. and taking responsibility is not about blame or anybody doing anything wrong it's just oh okay this is how i created this situation and you start to change that and look at how you created that situation and then you're in a position to never ever do it again <laughs> or or do it again if you have to but at least you're aware so it 
it's 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 also a positive thing to come out of something negative but you were all you were you said just a little while ago that you realized that you needed to separate from your husband even though you had children with him what was some of the things that came up for you and it doesn't have to be specific situations but just came up for you that you started to realize you didn't want this anymore um I am mindful as I answer that question that there may be a day when the boys listen to this. Of course. So um, I want to be respectful of yeah. their journey and their privacy. I'm a galactically private And the question person. is more about what your feelings were mm. than anything that any fights or whatever yeah. it was was about. So it's more about what was happening to you internally, because mm. I know you're in touch with all of that, that you realise, no, I, this is, it's, I've got to make a change because it's a hard change to make. Oh, it was the hardest decision I think I've yeah. ever made in my life. Um, I don't think anybody... Um, mother or father but I think particularly mothers if I may say so um, ever break up their family on a whim or on on a on something that hasn't been deeply I thought through when you were get, getting married you were in love you felt yeah. great you felt fantastic hmm, well when I said I do I did yes and um, I thought I would be uh doing and didding for the rest of my life with that particular person when you say you do most people do and yes. you know you, you you were in love with them and you did love them um deeply um so um shortly after my first son was born their father became really jealous of the attention basically that i was um understandably sharing with a newborn baby um, any of the mothers out there will be you know face palming themselves I'm sure because we know what it takes um, and um, and it became very abusive and so I just I I just you didn't like the way he was treating you yeah. and you were aware yeah. of it and then yes and then I, as I was wrestling with the decision as the as the um, abusive behavior kind of escalated I was fortunate enough to work um, have as a client um, and work with um, this beautiful uh, community service organisation. And the CEO is a very special uh, woman. And my she I confided in her what was going on. And um, I I remember so clearly a conversation in her office where I I said I just don't I don't want to break up my family if it was not for the boys then I wouldn't be there and she walked over to her side table and she picked up this huge 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 pile of research papers and she said this is all the research on how damaging it is for children to be in a in an environment that's abusive and she said I would ask you one question and you don't have to answer it just ponder it but what are your boys learning about love yeah and that was a bit of a kick in the bollocks, really, um, because I thought, which I think is a natural uh, thing, I thought that by keeping the family together, that was doing the best thing for the boys. And uh, the research, if if one is in an abusive environment, the research is very much to the contrary of that. And that was a... That was a real game changer. Yeah. Um, a wake up call because I didn't, 
they were not learning anything decent about love. Yeah. They were not learning. I mean, my my eldest had had tried to intervene on occasions, and um, uh, they were not learning what they needed to learn about love. And and as a consequence, I was. I've always been really committed to growing the boys, what I call their inner world, their relationship with themselves. Mm. And um, they are so much more evolved than... than How do you um, do that? How did you go about doing that? Oh, we did... Oh, <laughs> I was talking to a friend the other day about one of the things I, I did. Um, I, we're really big in, you know, we talked earlier about the law of attraction and that is a really, you know like attracts like and so i remember buying the boys this beautiful um um, it was called the book of sarah it was a it was a parable um developed by esther hicks oh abraham hicks abraham hicks and and uh and so it was so it was her reading it reading this parable of sarah it was all about the law of attraction and the boys used to listen to that when they would go to sleep and it was all about being in flow and um and and like attracting like and um my youngest had the propensity when he was little to be a bit of a storm cloud and my my eldest would say i don't think he's in the stream mum i don't think he's in flow <laughs> i think he's on the bank and then upon hearing that my my youngest would crack it even further and his storm cloud would increase and my eldest would say oh there he's up the hill he's not on the bank anymore mum he's up the hill he's up there he couldn't get any further away from the stream um, and so we did i did a lot of that with them i did a lot of um Self-awareness of feelings. Self-awareness of feelings, but also what we call in our family owning your shit. And you talked yeah. about responsibility earlier. And and sometimes I would deliberately make a mistake, you know, put the milk in the pantry instead of the fridge or something like that. And so the boys could say, point out the mistake to me. And so I could go, oh, yeah, silly me. Sorry about yeah. that. And I could, I could model what owning your shit looks like i could model what being responsible for Mm. uh, stuff looked like so so i did a lot of that um i also um talked to them about um where do you feel that in your body you know if they were upset about something where do you feel that in your body Mm. so they were able to tune in and also giving them permission to just sometimes feel a bit um you know, just a bit off. We all have our off days. And so we developed a made-up word for that where, where the boys, I would model it to them and say, Some, you know, I'm just feeling a bit off. I'm just feeling a bit teary. I'm feeling a bit, you know, nah. I'm just feeling a bit nah. And and this is way before the word meh came about, but it was, <laughs> it was what we used. And so that then became our language. If they weren't able to fully articulate how they're feeling or what had happened for them they would just i'm just feeling nah and that was kind of code for us yeah that we just needed to be gentle with one another um i talked to them a lot about loving kindness and um, that whole buddhist notion of loving loving kindness and again i remember one day i was pretty fraught because i obviously there'd been something that had happened with um this is post leaving the marriage. Obviously, something had happened with their father that that put me in a shitty mood. And I said something to um, to my youngest, and my eldest said, 
is that loving kindness, mum? And instead of, you know, I think a lot of people, if they're already feeling shitty, would have said to a four or five-year-old, you know, mind your business or whatever. And and I, it was such a great moment of both teaching and clarity. And I paused and I said, actually, that's not loving kindness. And I apologise. Mm-hmm. It's not loving kindness at all. Which and is such so, a beautiful thing to do to your own child. Yes, I think. And so we've we've really been, I've really been very big on being responsible. You know, the boys, from when they were little, they separated their clothes into dark and light mm. wash baskets. They um, they emptied the dishwasher. They, you know, they did all age-appropriate chores because it was only mm. just the three of us. And that also helps with responsibility. Well. I mean, they each cook a meal a week and have yeah. done for the last three years. Yeah. Um, because I'm mindful that I'm not raising boys. I'm raising future boyfriends and husbands. Yeah. And... Thank you. You know, as part of the sisterhood and as an investment into the future of the sisterhood of whoever the, whoever they end up with, or, or it may it may not be sisterhood, it may be brotherhood. You know, who knows? But but there's nothing worse than a grown up than a, like a man child. Yes. Um, and so I was really determined to raise very balanced and young men. How similar or different is that from what you remember from your own childhood and the way you were brought up? Oh, completely different, completely different. I mean, I think I often say that some of the best mentors are those that show you what not to do. That was definitely the case with my mother. So my style of parenting is polar opposite <laughs> to um, to what I experienced. What were some of the things that you really, um, looking back on it, didn't, would have could have done without in terms of as a child what did you need let's put it in a positive way what was it that you felt that you needed as a child that you weren't getting um it it was it was my mother was a pretty volatile woman um so safety i guess is what i didn't have that i needed that every child needs emotional as well as As, physical yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, I mean, it would not be uncommon for her to come into my room and see it that it was a bit messy and with the back of her arm sweep everything off the top of every flat surface, take out drawers of every set of drawers, empty the contents and throw the drawers, multiple drawers (laughs) across the room to make it. It was like a tsunami had been through my room. Mm. And her her parting comments was, now you can clean it up because, you know, it obviously wasn't clean enough for her liking prior to her destroying it. So her destroying it made the clean up. And was your dad around as well? He was. um, My parents had hotels, so he was pretty much always downstairs. Back in the day, you lived in the hotel if you mm. if you had hotels, um, uh, so he didn't really see that that as much. As, and did no. you have siblings? Yeah. Do you still have? Siblings? I sadly do have still still have siblings, <laughs> and we're very we're a very dislocated family. So um, how many? Yeah, there's eight of us in total. Wow. Mm. Are you close to any of them? No. It's yeah, I understand that mm. it happens. Mm. even if you've got one or two um and with so you've you've been through 
the trauma of divorce when you've got little kids, which is really difficult. How do you get into a new relationship when you've you've experienced that? Bloody hell. Um, I was single for seven years after I left the boy's dad. By choice. Yes, that's tough. By choice. Um, You know, the, the boys were absolutely my priority. It never felt, this is not a judgment, it was just yeah. my level of comfort. It never felt an okay thing for me to get a babysitter in order to go out on a date when they were two and four. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that was just not not on the horizon, not part of the plan. They were my priority. They and the business were my priority. Understandable. So... Um, no, that wasn't. How do you take that first step? How do you? Um, well, then I met the chap that I had a three-year relationship with. And that, I mean, that's, um, it was. Were got, you out? Did someone introduce you? What was that level of trust that was needed uh, for you to? Yeah, we sort of kind of, sort of kind of met through a mutual connection, I suppose you could say. Um, and, um I think this is why it's so, 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 so important for people to do the work, whatever the work looks like for them, yeah. um, because, um, it, I mean, we've all got friends, right, girlfriends or, or boyfriends, who kind of seem to date the same person over and over and over and over and over and over again. Exactly. And, and they always complain about the same thing and the, and the partner's always done the wrong thing and um, it's always the other person's fault and and there's a pattern there. And you kind of say, yeah, but the common denominator is you. Um, so I think it's really important that people do the work um, and I, I, um, I spend a lot of time doing a lot of work. Um, and I, I feel that um, when that relationship came into my life, I was, I'd done a lot of work and was in a really, really, really great place. And um, one of my, one of my therapists described it once it had had ended was that your your bucket was already full, so you had you had an abundance to ladle out into into someone else's half empty bucket. And that was probably pretty, a pretty fair assessment. Um, and, that, and, and the reason that that relationship ended was because of um, deception and lies and um, a lot of financial and pain. So is it all the work that you did and the new relationship, did you handle things that came up differently with the person or was it just reacting to the person again? So it's like when you are in a relationship and things start happening and you just don't feel the same way, were you then addressing this with the person you're in the relationship with or was it just feeling more and more uncomfortable? No, I certainly... I showed up in that relationship very differently to how I had showed up in the marriage. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think this is a common thing. If, there's a, if you're in an abusive environment, it's very easy to shut down. Yes. 
Well, and I put my hand absolutely put my hand up for that in um, in the marriage. This that that only other significant relationship I've had since um, then. Um, I it was very different. It was very different. Um, I um, was able to articulate a little more. Uh, not as not certainly not as much not with as much clarity as I have now, um, but it was very different. And I and I, rather than shutting down when there was trouble, there were issues. concerns and issues and troubles. Um, I would I talked. It's a very Brene Brown um, concept of showing up as love. Like what would love do now? Yes. What would love do now? What would love do now? What would love do now? And after a while, I realised that I was the only one in the relationship turning up with the what would love do now um, mantra. <laughs> and um, and that can't work. If only one person is always showing up as what would love do now, um, yeah. it's pretty hard. And were the boys helpful? Like the boys, they weren't going through the relationship with you, but they were because they were there and around. And Well, they really were. My youngest particularly went through the relationship and his heart is probably still broken. Not that he wants that person back in our life, but this person very much ingratiated himself into the boys' life. And I, I facilitated that. Of course, that. of course. Um, because... I thought that that was going to be a forever relationship. Um, and so my youngest's heart is probably still a bit broken by the deception that this person... And how do you deal with that? Because oh, you're going through your own stuff the as toughest well. Thing. But yes. That's the toughest thing. I, I, will, I will forgive many a person, many a thing that's inflicted upon me, um, but don't mess with my cubs. Yeah. Of course. Don't mess with my cubs. Um, so that has still been uh, pretty brutal uh, mm. for him. Um, he has. Uh, we've ad- we've adopted a new godfather. Well, we did. We adopted a new godfather about seven years ago, who's very much filled that void for my for my youngest. Mm. Um, and he and his fiance are the people that we go and see in New Zealand. Which is why Very New Zealand nice. is such a um, – that's our annual ski trip. So um, that's a very – I could just sit back and watch my youngest and his godfather interact. I could just, you know, yeah. sit with popcorn and watch them interact for days and days and days and days and months and months and months and months. It's a very gorgeously delicious, special, lovely, open-hearted <laughs> – Cup filling, laughter inducing, gorgeousness, cup of gorgeousness uh, when you watch them together. It's very special. Are the boys different or um, or do they have a lot of similarities? From each in terms other? Of character, yes. Oh, they're so different. They're so different. <laughs> I often marvel at how can these two people be so different when they come from exactly the same gene pool. <laughs> they are so different. So nature so different. versus not oh, nurture. Oh, my God. nature. Yeah, they're so different. Um, yeah, they're, they're just galactically different. Like, they've got some – they share some similar interests. Yeah. Um, and similar hobbies. Um, they're both – into gaming and so they they talk and it's a very social sort of way that they um interact with their mates online um 
but neither of them have been particularly sporty, um, albeit that they've tried pretty much every sport that's going round from water polo to baseball to basketball to cricket well, to footy. They've tried it all. They have tried tennis. They've tried did it all. Did you have to push them to try it or they just um, did? No, I, well, I was pr- always pretty um, adamant that they needed to do something that was physical. Yeah. Um, and so we just kept going round the mobby bush <laughs> trying every sport. <laughs> Going to man. So they're um, in their late teens now, early 20s. Mm. And are they going off on their own adventures in terms of leaving <laughs> oh, home? Oh, God, Lily, as you say that. <laughs> um, okay. My, my well, youngest has just um, been offered a role in Japan for our summer, their winter, to work at the, one of the ski resorts there, fabulous. which is unreal. It is it is exciting. It's challenging. It'll be great. It'll be, it'll just be a moment that he will never, ever, 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 ever forget. Um, but I'm also mindful that he's going to leave a boy and he's going to come home a man. I'm not entirely sure my little mummy heart is ready <laughs> for that because um, I, he's a real cuddler as well. And my eldest one, not quite so much. Um, so... So you'll probably go visit. I'm going to, I'll definitely go visit. I'll definitely go visit. I, I will probably cry all the way back from the airport sure. to my home, which is a two-hour drive, and I suspect I'll be crying the whole way after I've dropped him off. So very, very different from your own forays when you were young to Perth and Townsville. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did the, knowing how you feel about your kids going away, knowing you came from a very, very different situation with your family, how did you end up in these really oh, out of the way places? Yes, that's a very good question. So I left, um, I left home at nineteen, and basically didn't speak with my um, parents since. So I'm very independent. So in my was it my first job? No, my, I think my second job. Um, I had a great relationship with the with the directors, and one of them, they both lived in Sydney. And um, when one came down, we would we would often have dinner. And um, on this particular occasion, he said, "Make sure you're free for dinner." And I, like, what's going on? So I knew something was up. And um, anywho, he um, it's a it's a it's a very funny story, but he offered me a promotion and a move to Perth wow. because the Perth office wasn't going Marketing so well. Marketing and advertising. Yeah. Yeah, PR and yeah. PR and, and advertising, and so I. Said, Pretty impressive. Yes. At Nineteen. Yeah. Well, no, that was that was after uni. That was in my oh. early. I was thinking I was twenty, early twenties. Right. Yeah, twenty three, twenty four, something like that. After uni, and um, I mean Perth was five of the best years of my life. I'd not been there before, and I didn't know anyone. Um, So, you know, I was loving life in Melbourne, driving in my little red MX-5 and (laughs) thinking I was eating a bit and a bit more, really. And and then I was thrust into this pretty hostile environment office-wise in Perth because the manager of the Perth office at the time had hired his daughter and was grooming her for the role that I just got promoted into. So there was no welcome party or welcome mat or welcome bloody anything. It was pretty, the first night was pretty disastrous. She booked, they had organised a um, service department for me for a month 
and all my stuff was in storage and then they were going to ship it over once I'd found an apartment and um the place honestly it looked like Pentridge and for those non-Melbourne listeners that's the old prison in Melbourne um and um it was just this box of a place it was a box it was so small the table had one chair because clearly they knew I had no mates in Perth you know and the bed was it dipped in the middle and it had this god awful terry telling orange bedspread on it and the curtains were lime green and I just phoned the director whose name was Guy and said the the bedspread is orange and the curtains are green and uh, he said check out and go to the Sheraton I said okay so I checked out and went to the Sheraton and had we death, like him death by minibar we like him a lot um but it but it, um it was that was kind of my welcome to Perth and it set the tone for the treatment um about six weeks no it wouldn't even have been six weeks maybe three weeks into my tenure there the big big boss flew over and relieved both the manager and his daughter of their duties <laughs> and then life got better life and got a whole lot better after that how do you say yes to townsville? oh god how do you say yes after... to townsville well love lily is what drove me to townsville ah. because my former husband the boy's father um was in the military was based in townsville we did the 12 month long distance thing for ah. um and then realized that what was it like living in townsville oh it was like walking into stuckyville it was it was I, I remember walking through the airport and there were people in the airport with bare feet and I was living in South Yarra in Melbourne at the time which is quite a nice suburb for your non-Melbourne listeners listening to the podcast and um, it's a bit posh and um, I could not believe that there were, and I remember calling a friend we're going what am I doing here there are people here that don't have shoes on in the airport um, uh, uh, anyway bought a house bought a gorgeous so, house up there and we spent 12 months there before moving back to melbourne must have been love um, must have been. <laughs> so the wonderful thing about life is that it goes in cycles and is this one of your best cycles now oh for sure for sure i think um yeah definitely and i think one must always strive to make the chapter that one is in at the time, the best chapter. Um, but without a doubt, I, I've done, um, you know, a lot of work <laughs> as one must. Well, not as one must, as one chooses. Um, a lot, 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 lot of work um, that has probably put me in the best shape of my life, I think. It sounds like mm. it. I mean, when you've got work and leisure and family around you, is there anything that you're still wanting or striving for? Um, I don't focus on what's lacking because if we don't, circling back to kind of where of we course. started, if one yes. focuses on, on the lack, one gets more lack. So there's nothing missing in my life. Um, but but in terms of what I'm striving for, always striving to be the next best version of me and the next best version of me and the next best version of me and, yep. and striving to gently these days encourage the boys for that. It's not, you know, when they get when they get their own licences, there's not a lot that... that um, You're really going to have to let go. You really have to let go. <laughs> and and also just their journey, yes. you know, the, the, the mistakes that they will make inevitably as as one should make mistakes and grow from them um 
And you do want somebody in your life again, but somebody that has different characteristics to those that you pushed against. Yes, and I think that um, there's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant article that I tell everybody about, um, and it's the three sexiest words a man can say to a woman. And it is, I do a lot of reading. It is one of the best pieces of writing I've ever read in my life. So if your listeners are looking for a bit of um, home play to do, then um, just Google the three sexiest words a man can say to a woman. And it really encapsulates, if you get that um, article, I get it, not get it in your head, but get it in your heart. If you get it, if you really let it land with you, then you will have the key to what matters to me. And you believe that that's possible? Oh, completely. Good yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your honesty and your sharing and just really excited to uh, to continue the journey with you. Thank you.